everyone. Welcome to week five of the Intro GIS podcast. I'm Dr. Rebecca Shakespeare, and as usual, we'll be reading from the textbook Essentials of Geographic Information Systems by Campbell and Shin in 2011. This text was adapted by Sailor Academy under the Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license, and as such, this podcast is also shared under that license. This week, we have a little bit more than previous weeks. Uh, We'll first have chapter 5.2, which we skipped over last week, and then we'll go all the way through chapter 6. The timestamps for the start and end of these are in the show notes, so if you need to skip ahead, you can use those as a resource. Finally, there are a lot of figures in these chapters, so it may be helpful for you to pull up the textbook on your phone or computer so that you can reference those as we go along. There won't be questions in the podcast version after each section as usual, so go and look at the questions in the textbook and give those a go for yourself. Without further ado, chapter 5.2, then all of chapter 6. Chapter 5.2, Geospatial Database Management. The objective of this section is to understand the basic properties of a relational database management system. A database is a structured collection of data files. A database management system, sometimes abbreviated DBMS, is a software package that allows for the creation, storage, maintenance, manipulation, and retrieval of large data sets that are distributed over one or more files. A database management system and its associated functions are usually accessed through commercial software packages, such as Microsoft Access, Oracle, FileMaker Pro, or AvanQuest My Database. Database management normally refers to the management of tabular data in row and column format and is frequently used for personal, business, government, and scientific endeavors. Geospatial database management systems, alternatively, include the functionality of a database management system, but also contain geographic information about each data point, such as identity, location, shape, and orientation. Integrating this geographic information with the tabular attribute data of a classical data management system provide users with powerful tools to visualize and answer the spatially explicit questions that arise in an increasingly technological society. Several types of database models exist, such as the flat, hierarchical, network, and relational models. A flat database is essentially a spreadsheet whereby all data are stored in a single, large table. A hierarchical database is also a fairly simple model that organizes data in a one-to-many association across levels. Common examples of this model include phylogenic trees for classification of plants and animals, and familial genealogical trees showing parent-child relationships. Network databases are similar to hierarchical databases, however, they also support many-to-many relationships. This expanded capability allows greater search flexibility within the dataset and reduces potential redundancy of information. Alternatively, 
both the hierarchical and network models can become incredibly complex depending on the size of the databases and the number of interactions between the data points. Modern geographic information system software typically employs a fourth model referred to as a relational database. Relational database management systems. A relational database management system, abbreviated RDBMS, is a collection of tables that are connected in such a way that data can be accessed without reorganization of the tables. The tables are created such that each column represents a particular attribute, for example, soil type, pin number, last name, or acreage. And each row contains a unique instance of data for that columnar attribute. For example, Delhi Sand Soils, 5555, Smith, or 412.3 acres. In the relational model, each table, not surprisingly called a relation, is linked to each other via predetermined keys. The primary key represents the attribute or column whose value uniquely identifies a particular record or row in the relation or table. The primary key may not contain missing values as multiple missing values would represent non-unique entities that would violate the basic rule of a, the primary key. The primary key corresponds to an identical attribute in a secondary table and also possibly a third, fourth, fifth, etc called the foreign key. This results in all the information in the first table being directly related to the information in the second table via the primary and foreign keys, hence the term relational database management system. With these links in place, tables within the database can be kept very simple, resulting in minimal computation time and file complexity. This process can be repeated over many tables as long as each contains a foreign key that corresponds to another table's primary key. The relational model has two primary advantages over other database models described earlier. First, each table can now be separately prepared, maintained, and edited. This is particularly useful when one considers the potentially huge size of many of today's modern databases. Second, the tables may be maintained separately until the need for a particular query or analysis calls for the tables to be related. This creates a large degree of efficiency for processing of information within a given database. It may become apparent to the reader that there is great potential for redundancy in this model, as each table must contain an attribute that corresponds to an attribute in every other related table. Therefore, Redundancy must actively be monitored and managed in a relational database management system. To accomplish this, a set of rules called normal forms have been developed. There are three basic normal forms. The first normal form refers to five conditions that must be met. They are as follows. One, there is no sequence to the ordering of rows. Two, there is no sequence to the ordering of columns. Three, each row is unique. Four, every cell contains one and only one value. And five, 
all values in a column pertain to the same subject. The second normal form states that any column that is not a primary key must be dependent on the primary key. This reduces redundancy by eliminating the potential for multiple primary keys throughout multiple tables. This step often involves the creation of new tables to maintain normalization. The third normal form states that all non-primary keys must depend on the primary key, while the primary key remains independent of all non-primary keys. This form was wittily summed up by Kent in the 1983 A Simple Guide to Five Forms in Relational Database Theory, who quipped that all non-primary keys, quote, must provide a fact about the key, the whole key, and nothing but the key. Echoing this quote is the rejoinder, so help me cod, from personal communications. Joins and relates. An additional advantage of a relational database management system is that it allows attribute data in separate tables to be linked in a post hoc fashion. The two operations commonly used to accomplish this are the join and relate. The join operation appends the fields of one table into a second table through the use of an attribute or field that is common to both tables. This is commonly utilized to combine attribute information from one or more non-spatial data tables, so information taken from reports or documents, with a spatially explicit GIS feature layer. A second type of join combines feature information based on spatial location and association rather than on common attributes. In ArcGIS, three types of spatial joins are available. Users may, one, match each feature to the closest feature, two, match each feature to the feature that it is a part of, or three, match each feature to the feature that it intersects. Alternatively, the relate operation temporarily associates two map layers or tables while keeping them physically separate. Relates are bidirectional, so data can be accessed from one of the tables by selecting records in the other table. The relate operation also allows for the association of three or more tables if necessary. Sometimes it can be unclear as to which operation one should use. As a general rule, Joins are most suitable for instances involving one-to-one or many-to-one relationships. Joins are also advantageous due to the fact that the data from two tables are readily observable in a single output table. The use of relates, on the other hand, are suitable for all table relationships, one-to-many, one-to-one, many-to-one, and many-to-many. However, they can slow down computer access time if the tables are particularly large or are spread out over remote locations. The key takeaways from this section are, database management systems can be flat, hierarchical, network, or relational. Relational database management systems utilize primary keys and foreign keys to link data tables. You might see Relationship Database Management Systems, abbreviated RDBMS. The Relational Database Management System model reduces redundancy by employing three basic normal forms. Chapter 6, Data Characteristics and Visualization. 
In previous chapters, we learned how geographic information system software packages use databases to store extensive attribute information for geospatial features within a map. The true usefulness of this information, however, is not realized until similarly powerful analytical tools are employed to process, access, and simplify the data. To accomplish this, GIS typically provides extensive tools for searching, querying, describing, summarizing, and classifying datasets. With these data exploration tools, even the most expansive datasets can be mined to provide users with the ability to make meaningful insights into and statements about that information. Section 6.2 Descriptions and Summaries the objective of this section is to review the most frequently used measures of distribution, central tendency, and dispersion. No discussion of geospatial analysis would be complete without a brief overview of basic statistical concepts. The basic statistics outlined here represent a starting point for any attempt to describe, summarize, and analyze geospatial datasets. An example of a common geospatial statistical endeavor is the analysis of point data obtained by a series of rainfall gauges patterned throughout a particular region. Given these rain gauges, one could determine the typical amount and variability of rainfall at each station, as well as typical rainfall throughout the region as a whole. In addition, you could interpolate the amount of rainfall that falls between each station or the location where the most or least rainfall occurs. Furthermore, you could predict the expected amount of rainfall into the future at each station, between each station, or within the region as a whole. The increase of computational power over the past few decades has given rise to vast datasets that cannot be summarized easily. Descriptive statistics provide simple, numeric descriptions of these large datasets. Descriptive statistics tend to be univariate analyses, meaning they examine one variable at a time. There are three families of descriptive statistics that we will discuss here. Measures of distribution, measures of central tendency, and measures of dispersion. However, before we delve too deeply into various statistical techniques, we must first define a few terms. Variable. A symbol used to represent any given value or set of values. Value. An individual observation of a variable. In a geographic information system, this is also called a record. Population. The universe of all possible values for a variable. Sample a subset of the population. N, literally the letter N. The number of observations for a variable. Array, a sequence of observed measures. In a GIS, this is also called a field and is represented in an array table as a column. Sorted array, an ordered quantitative array. Measures of distribution. The measure of distribution of a variable is merely a summary of the frequency of values over the range of the data set. Hence, this is also often called a frequency distribution. 
Typically, the values for the given variable will be grouped into a predetermined series of classes, which are also called intervals, bins, or categories. And the number of data values that fall into each class will be summarized. A graph showing the number of data values within each class range is called a histogram. For example, the percentage grades received by a class on an exam may result in an array displayed in the textbook that has a value n equals 30, so 30 different exam scores. The array is just a list of numbers that range from 57 to 100, and there are 30 values indicating 30 different students' exam scores. When placing this array into a frequency distribution, the following general guidelines should be observed. First, between five and 15 different classes should be employed, although the exact number of classes depends on the number of observations. Second, each observation goes into one and only one class. Third, when possible, use classes that cover an equal range of values. With these guidelines in mind, the exam score array can be visualized with a histogram. I'll describe the histogram for you and you can also look at it in the textbook. The histogram shows five bars along the y-axis. There's a frequency from zero to 12. And along the x-axis, there, there are five categories, zero through 59, 60 through 69, 70 through 79, 80 through 89, and 90 through 100. The histogram indicates that a low number of people received a 0 through 59, slightly higher received 60 through 69, the highest received 70 through 79, and then the number of students receiving an 80 through 89 was a little bit lower, and 90 to 100 was a little bit lower again. The text goes on, as you can see from this histogram, certain descriptive observations can be made. Most students received a C on the exam, 70 to 79. Two students failed the exam, indicated by a frequency of two between zero and 59. Five students received an A, indicated by a frequency of five between 90 and 100. Note that this histogram does violate the third basic rule that each class cover an equal range because the F grade ranges from zero to 59, whereas the other grades have ranges of about equal size. Regardless, in this case, we are most concerned with describing the distribution of grades received during the exam. Therefore, it makes perfect sense to create class ranges that best suit our individual needs. Measures of Central Tendency we can further explore the exam score array by applying measures of central tendency. There are three primary measures of central tendency, the mean, mode, and median. The mean, more commonly referred to as the average, is the most often used measure of central tendency. To calculate the mean, simply add all the values in the array and divide that sum by the number of observations. To return to the exam score from earlier, the sum of that array is 2,340. And there were 30 observations, so n equaled 30. So the mean is 2,340 divided by 30, which is 78. The mode is the measure of central tendency that represents the most frequently occurring value in the array. 
In the case of the exam scores, the mode of the array is 75, as this was received by the most number of students, three in total. Finally, the median is the observation that, when the array is ordered from lowest to highest, falls exactly in the center of the stored array. More specifically, the median is the value in the middle of the sorted array when there are an odd number of observations. Alternatively, when there is an even number of observations, the median is calculated by finding the mean of the two central values. If the array of exam scores were reordered into a sorted array, the scores would be listed in this order. 57, 59, 60, 64, 66, 67, etc. Chapter 6.2, Searches and Queries. The objective of this section is to outline the basics of the SQL language to understand the various query types available in a GIS. Access to robust search and query tools is essential to examine the general trends of a dataset. Queries are essentially questions posed to the database. The selective display and retrieval of information based on these queries are essential components of any geographic information system. There are three basic methods for searching and querying attribute data. One, selection. Two, query by attribute. And three, query by geography. Selection. Selection represents the easiest way to search and query spatial data in a GIS. Selecting features highlight those attributes of interest, both on screen and in the attribute table for subsequent display or analysis. To accomplish this, one selects points, lines, and polygons simply by using the cursor to point and click the feature of interest or by using the cursor to drag a box around those features. Alternatively, one can select features by using a graphic object, such as a circle, line, or polygon, to highlight all of the features that fall within that object. Advanced options for selecting subsets of data from the larger data set include creating a new selection, selecting from the currently selected features, adding to the current selection, and removing from the current selection. Querying by attribute. Map features and their associated data can be retrieved via the query of attribute information within the data tables. For example, search and query tools allow a user to show all the census tracts that have a population density of 500 or greater, to show all the counties that are less than or equal to 100 square kilometers, or to show all convenience stores within one mile of an interstate highway. Specifically, SQL, or Structured Query Language, is a commonly used computer language developed to query attribute data within a relational database management system. Created by IBM in the 1970s, SQL allows for the retrieval of a subset of attribute information based on specific user-defined criteria via the implementation of particular language elements. More recently, the use of SQL has been extended for use in a GIS. One important note related to the use of SQL is that the exact expression used to query a dataset depends on the GIS file format being examined. For example, 
ANSI-SQL is a particular version used to query ARC-SDE geodatabases, while JET-SQL is used to access personal geodatabases. Similarly, shapefiles, coverages, and DBase tables use a restricted version of SQL that doesn't support all the features of ANSI-SQL or JET-SQL. As discussed in Chapter 5, Geospatial Data Management, Section 5.2, Geospatial Database Management, all attribute tables in a relational database management system, usually abbreviated RDBMS, used for an SQL query must contain primary and or foreign keys for proper use. In addition to these keys, SQL implements clauses that structure database queries. A clause is a language element that includes the select, from, where, order by, and having query statements. I'll point out that when these clauses are indicated in text, they're usually indicated in all capital letters. Select denotes what attribute table fields you wish to view. From denotes the attribute table in which the information resides. Where denotes the user-defined criteria for the attribute information that must be met in order for it to be included in the output set. Order by denotes the sequence in which the output set will be displayed, and having denotes the predicate used to filter output from the order by clause. While the select and from clauses are both mandatory statements in an SQL query, the where is an optional clause used to limit the output set. The order by and having are optional clauses used to present the information in an interpretable manner. Figure 6.6 in the textbook, titled Personal Addresses in Example Table, Attribute Table, has some information that the next section of this text will refer to. This might be a good time to open up that image on your phone by going to the textbook website and finding Figure 6.6 in Chapter 6.2. The following is a series of SQL expressions and the results when applied to the data in figure 6.6. The title of the attribute table is example table, all one word. Note that the asterisk denotes a special case of select whereby all columns for a given record are selected. Here's the query. Select asterisk from example table where city equals in quotes upland. The statement would return two lines of data. The two lines of data where the city indicated was upland. Consider the next statement. Select last name from example table where state equals in quotes CA order by first name. This statement results in, an, in the following output table, which is sorted in ascending order by the first name column. Because the select query only requested last name, the first name column wasn't included in the output table, which just lists the last names of people whose addresses were in the state of California. In addition to clauses, SQL allows for the inclusion of specific operators to further delimit the result of query. 
These operators can be relational, arithmetic, or Boolean, and will typically appear inside of conditional statements in the WHERE clause. A relational operator employs the statements equal to, less than, less than or equal to, greater than, or greater than or equal to. These are indicated with the mathematical symbols of equals, greater than, and less than. Arithmetic operators are those mathematical functions that include addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. These are indicated using plus, minus, asterisk for multiplication, and a slash for division. Boolean operators, also called Boolean connectors, include the statements and, or, xor, and not. Note that all of those words are in all capital letters. The AND connector is used to select records from the attribute table that satisfies both expressions. The OR connector selects records that satisfy either one or both expressions. The XOR, which is literally spelled XOR, connector selects records that satisfy one and only one of the expressions, the functional opposite of the AND connector. Lastly, the NOT connector is used to negate or unselect an expression that would otherwise be true. Put into the language of probability, the AND connector is used to represent an intersection. Chapter 6.3 Data Classification The objective of this section is to describe the methodologies available to parse data into various classes for visual representation in a map. The process of data classification combines raw data into predefined classes, or bins. These classes may be represented in a map by some unique symbols, or in the case of choropleth maps, by a unique color or hue. Choropleth maps are thematic maps shaded with graduated colors to represent some statistical variable of interest. Although seemingly straightforward, there are several different classification methodologies available to a cartographer. These methodologies break the attribute values down along various interval patterns. Monmanier, in his 1999 book, How to Lie with Maps, noted that different classification methodologies can have a major impact on the interpretability of a given map as the visual pattern presented is easily distorted by manipulating the specific interval breaks of the classification. In addition to the methodology employed, the number of classes chosen to represent the feature of interest will also significantly affect the ability of the viewer to interpret the mapped information. Including too many classes can make a map look overly complex and confusing. Too few classes can oversimplify the map and hide important data trends. Most effective classification attempts utilize approximately four to six distinct classes. While problems potentially exist with any classification technique, a well-constructed choropleth increases the interpretability of any given map. The following discussion outlines the classification methods commonly available in geographic information system software packages. In these examples, we will use the U.S. Census Bureau's population statistic for U.S. counties in 1997. 
These data are freely available at the U.S. Census website. The equal interval or equal step classification method divides the range of attribute values into equally sized classes. The number of classes is determined by the user. The equal interval classification method is best used for continuous data sets, such as precipitation or temperature. In the case of the 1997 Census Bureau data, county population values across the United States range from 40, Yellowstone National Park County, to 9,184,770, Los Angeles County, California, for a total range of 9,184,770 minus 40, which equals 9,184,730. If we decide to classify this data into five equal interval classes, the range of each class would cover a population spread of 9,184,730 divided by 5, which is 1,836,946. The advantage of the equal interval classification method is that it creates a legend that is easy to interpret and present to a non-technical audience. The primary disadvantage is that certain data sets will end up with most of the data values falling into only one or two classes, while few or no values will occupy the other classes. Considering the county population data from the U.S. Census, almost every county in the United States fits into the smallest county category with a population of 67 to 1,903,000. 921 population. The quantile classification method places equal numbers of observations into each class. This method is best for data that is evenly distributed across its range. The figure in the textbook shows the quantile classification method with, a t with five total classes. As there are 3,140 counties in the United States, each class in a quantile classification methodology will contain 3,140 divided by 5, or 628 different counties. The advantage to this method is that it often excels at emphasizing the relative position of data values. For example, which counties contain the top 20% of the U.S. population. The primary disadvantage of the quantile classification methodology is that features placed within the same level class can have wildly differing values, particularly if the data are not evenly distributed across its range. In addition, the opposite can also happen, whereby values with a small range difference can be placed into different classes, suggesting a wider difference in the data set than actually exists. The natural breaks, or jenks, classification method uses an algorithm to group values in classes that are separated by distinct breakpoints. This method is best used with data that is unevenly distributed, but not skewed toward either end of the distribution. Figure 6.21 in the textbook shows the natural breaks classification for the U.S. county population density data. One potential disadvantage is that this method can create classes that contain widely varying number ranges. Accordingly, class 1 is characterized by a range of just over 150,000, while class 5 is characterized by a range of over 6 million. In cases like this, 
it is often useful to either tweak the classes following the classification effort or to change the labels to some ordinal scale, such as small, medium, or large. The latter example, in particular, can result in a map that is more comprehensible to the viewer. A second disadvantage is the fact that it can be difficult to compare two or more maps created with the natural breaks classification method because the class ranges are so very specific to each data set. In these cases, data sets that may not be overly disparate may appear so in the output graphic. Finally, the standard deviation classification method forms each class by adding and subtracting the standard deviation from the mean of the data set. This method is best suited to be used with data that conforms to a normal distribution. In the county population example, the mean is 85,108 and the standard deviation is 277,080. Therefore, as can be seen in the legend of figure 6.22, which shows standard deviation with county data, the central class contains values within a 0.5 standard deviation of the mean, while the upper and lower classes contain values that are 0.5 or more standard deviations above or below the mean, respectively. In conclusion, there are several viable data classification methodologies that can be applied to choropleth maps. Although other methods are available, like equal area and optimal, those outlined here represent the most commonly used and widely available. Each of these methods presents the data in a different fashion and highlights different aspects of the trends in the data set. Indeed, the classification methodology, as well as the number of classes utilized, can result in very widely varying interpretations of the data set. It is incumbent upon you, the cartographer, to select the method that best suits the needs of the study and presents the data in as meaningful and transparent way as possible. The key takeaways from this section are, choropleth maps are thematic maps shaded with graduated colors to represent some statistical variable of interest. Four methods for classifying data presented here include equal intervals, quartile, natural breaks, and standard deviation. These methods can convey certain advantages and disadvantages when visualizing a variable of interest.